Welcome to Happy Hour with Operation Happy Nurse, where we openly discuss mental health as practicing nurses and the reality of what it means in healthcare. We are your lovely hosts. My name is Carly. And I'm Ashley. And we hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Happy Hour with Operation Happy Nurse. Today, Ashley and I have another special guest joining us, Dr. Rachel Hers. So Dr. Hers is a world-renowned expert on the science of smell. She is a neuroscientist on the faculty at Brown University since 2000 and Boston College since 2013. She has been conducting research on the subject for over 20 years, in addition to consulting for numerous international corporations. Her published books include The Scent of Desire, That's Disgusting, Unraveling the Mysteries of Repulsion, and Why You Eat What You Eat, The Science Behind Our Relationship with Food. So thank you, Dr. Hurst, for being with us today. Hello. Thank you so much, Carly and Ashley, for having me on. We're so excited to have you today. So how did you start working in the world of aromatherapy and with the psychology of scent? So I like to actually say, so aromatherapy, I call it real aromatherapy, <laughs> or what might be referred to as aromacology, which is the scientifically Ooh. studied ways that scents can actually help people physically, emotionally, and so on for wellness and well-being and everything else. And the difference here is that it's not about sort of magical elixirs. It's really about sort of scientifically verified ways that as a function of how the sense of smell works and how it works with our emotions and memories, it has impact for our wellness, reducing stress, increasing our immune system, generally giving us a better lifespan and health span. So I got started because, and in fact, actually... 30 years. Oh my gosh. One year <laughs> fact, <laughs> that I started doing this for my PhD. Um, and basically, I had an undergraduate background in biology, and I was trying to figure out how I could marry biology with psychology. And mm -hmm. the sense of smell presented itself as a perfect way, and in particular, studying what were the special features of emotional memories triggered by smells. And so that's how it all started. And since then, I have been continuing to research how smell and emotion and memory are connected and how learning is connected. And, and especially recently, really gotten into the health side of things and how smell itself can improve our health, like I mentioned before, both mental mm -hmm. health and physical health, and also mm -hmm. how our sense of smell itself is intrinsically tied to our health. So not only is it the case that scent can produce positive effects on our psychological health and our physical health, but our sense of smell itself is intimately connected to our physical health. For instance, if you have a dramatic drop in your sense of smell in middle age, it can actually be a foreshadow of death within the next five years. Wow. And decreases and distortions in our sense of smell are actually the first warning sign for COVID-19 infection. I did a study with researchers at Yale University where we looked at healthcare workers and a distortion in their sense of smell occurred on average two days before they got a positive test for wow. COVID. So um, it can have a really dramatic impact for being a sign of illness. And another way that it's a sign of illness is for neurological diseases like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, mm -hmm. where a decrease in the ability to smell can occur decades before 
the other symptoms that normally go with those illnesses are seen. And oh, if it's wow. recognized early enough, the prognosis for these illnesses are tremendously better. Do you think that we can manipulate our emotions through scent? I absolutely think we can manipulate our emotions through scent because when we smell something, we don't have an innate reaction to it. Our responses to it are learned through our experiences, especially our emotional experiences. And what happens is a scent becomes linked to an emotion such that, such that the scent becomes a proxy for that emotion and actually functions as the emotion itself. So let's mm -hmm. just say you were smelling something you hadn't smelled before. And at the same time, you were experiencing this really exciting, fantastic situation. Mm -hmm. Well, that emotion of excitement would transfer to the smell such the next time you smelled that scent, it would make you feel super fantastic and excited. And when we are experiencing an emotion, everything that happens to us inside happens to us outside and, and vice versa. So, you know, if I said something to you that made you really sad and you started to cry, that's a full reaction. That's a full mm -hmm. emotional kind of response. You don't have right. to get beaten up in the street to start crying. It can just come <laughs> from inside your mind. Right. And the same thing happens as a function of the smell being connected to an emotion. When you smell it, it activates the same circuitry. It's directly connected to our emotional neurology and the emotion is fully experienced so we can use scent in place of bringing up an emotional state as a function of the fact that it is the emotional state right that makes that makes a lot of sense because I feel I feel like I've had encounters where I smell something that just reminds me of my past and it brings me back to this place and it's so fast but it makes that makes so much sense because you do you know associate these smells with emotions that you had you know, in the past or now. So that's really very interesting. Well, the other thing is, so you're saying it brings you back to a specific place, like you're remembering kind of the content of the memory, mm -hmm. but often it can be that all you, all you experience is the feeling. So you have the feeling of like feeling really happy or wistful or, you know, energized or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. And you don't even really know why because of the fact right. that, that the first and fundamental aspect of our experience with smell is emotional. And we don't always get back the full blown, oh, it was because I'm thinking it's reminding me of this, that, or the other thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really the emotion that's primary. And then we potentially get all the kind of cognitive details filled in. And this is actually the reverse of other kinds of memory experiences we have. Like if you were listening to music, for example, mm -hmm. and it, you know, music can make you feel really calm and relaxed and happy and so on. But the music would be connected to some kind of memory or image first. And then you evaluate that, you know, mentally go, oh yeah, that's really nice. It's making me think of this mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. So the, the emotion, even though it really quick is actually secondary to the kind of analytical response you have first, whereas with smell, emotion is first, and then you get the kind of cognitive analytical build on that. Oh, yeah, that's, interesting. that's super interesting. Wow. I, was listening, I was watching your TED talk of kind of about that. And you really went into about emotion and smell and how smell it has a lot to do with your emotional center and amygdala and memories. And I, mm -hmm. I liked how you spoke kind of, I know it's more negative, but how a lot of people with PTSD kind of have that smell to motion effect where if they had a bad memory or had a bad situation and they smelt something and it brought them back to that time that it can kind of trigger that PTSD response. And that was really interesting. Like psychologically. Yeah, no, it 
thank you. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that it works in the negative and it works very potently. I mean, it is really a problem for people, especially those who've had, you know, combat experience or first mm -hmm. responders and so forth, where smells are very much present in the trauma that they're mm -hmm. going through when they're dealing with the situation. And because smells are invisible, this is another really interesting thing about them. We can't necessarily protect ourselves for like when a smell might be coming around the corner. So if you knew that you had like a traumatic situation and in a, you could kind of do various things to avoid it, or you could, you know, make your life kind of work around it. Not that that's necessarily the, the ideal way you want to go forward, but mm -hmm. you can kind of protect yourself. But with smell, you never know when someone might be walking by wearing a cologne that was involved with, you know, maybe the assailant that attacked you in the parking lot was wearing the same cologne, right. or if you've been combat, like the smell of a barbecue, which unfortunately has the same smell as burning people, um, mm. you know, if you're cooking meat, and that kind of smell can just be overwhelming. And because it's so emotional, and because it sort of blindsides you, people become really debilitated by this form of PTSD trigger. Oh, right. that's definitely that's imagine. Right. That's so sad. And it, I mean, it is sad that it, it can't happen in a negative way, but also I've never, I've never in my brain just thought, oh, smell is invisible, but that is a really good way to put it because you can't, you can't predict it and you can't protect yourself from certain things like that. So that's interesting. Can you, <laughs> so also I was interested when you talked about on your Ted talk about uh, smell and physical attraction and how you were attracted to your husband. And I think that was really cool. So let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so actually the way that we, you know, our attraction to, to other people's body odor, especially as women, mm -hmm. we actually find how a man smells, or I'm going to say in heterosexual situations, this is really sort of an explanation because it all mm -hmm. has to do with sort of selfish gene and reproduction and getting yourself out into your genes out into future generations. Mm -hmm. So although smell is very much involved in homosexual and lesbian relationships too, mm -hmm. the, the, the sort of theory behind this has to do with heterosexuality because it's about genes going forward right <laughs> Repro reproduction <laughs> yes so that and since that doesn't happen in homosexual relationships this sort of the theory isn't really applying in this particular case but it certainly is involved in the sense of you know the emotion and love and sexuality mm -hmm. and so on but where this comes into play in terms of the the background theory is that what is super interesting is that everybody unless you have an identical twin has mm -hmm. a unique body odor and that's mm. why the tracking dog can find you when you leave your t-shirt behind in the jail cell and does not go after anybody else. So only you smells like you. And um, it is as unique literally as your fingerprint. Now, the genes that control that, your scent, are actually mm -hmm. the genes of your immune system. Mm. So everybody also oh. has a unique immune system. Mm -hmm. And why this is really interesting and important is that health is obviously intrinsically tied to your immune system. Right. And from the point of view of reproduction and passing your genes on into future generations, you need to have children who are gonna be healthy and hale and grow up to reproduce themselves and keep passing on the genes and so on. Right. So the most important thing for determining whether or not a child is gonna be healthy is their immune system. You know, mm -hmm. do they have recessive traits that are going to get them into trouble or make them not able to have children and so forth? You know, are they going to die too young because of whatever immune system they have and therefore mm -hmm. not be able to reproduce? So that's kind of like the basic background to 
the health of a child being so critical and that they grow up and are able to reproduce. And from the point of view of biology and attraction, since your body odor is a representation of your immune system, finding someone who is most complementary to your immune system is key for having a child that is going to be maximally healthy. Because you don't want someone with the same immune system as you, because you could be carrying recessive traits that aren't good and you don't want those doubled up. And Mm -hmm. you also want to cover more illnesses that you may be protected for than just whatever you have. So you want someone who's Mm -hmm. really different from you. And so that will give maximum coverage for various diseases to your offspring, as well as minimizing any potential deleterious replications. So this is the basis behind this. And the fact that women have to put in so much energy and time into reproduction. So in terms of the sort of cost benefit analysis of reproduction for women, the costs are huge. So you have Uh, not only nine months of pregnancy where you're Mm -hmm. more vulnerable, you have more energy demands, all kinds of other things are going on. But prior to the advent of milk formula and everything like that, Mm -hmm. a woman had to be breastfeeding for her infant to survive. And if she got pregnant, she would stop breast, the milk production stops so that she wouldn't be able to feed that infant and that infant could die. So you have like two years where a woman is out of commission for another possible pregnancy. And there's only a certain number of pregnancies a woman can have in her fertile reproductive lifespan. So there's this huge cost, but a woman always knows that that baby that I am taking care of is my genetic material. And therefore I am like, you know, invested in that baby because that baby represents me. Now the flip side of that is what men have. (laughs) So (laughs) men have nearly no cost at all. Like, you know, possibly a minute, (laughs) right? For sure. (laughs) Um, In terms of, you know, the act of reproduction itself, but they have the total uncertainty. Are you sure that baby's really mine? I mean, they just have to go on the word of the woman saying, yes, this baby is yours. Mm -hmm. Can't you see it has your dimples? But um, in, in any event, the idea here from a reproductive strategy perspective is that for men, the best strategy is to have sex with as many possibly fertile females as possible, because then you have the greatest chance of your genes going out into future generations. Because on average, you know, statistically speaking, if I impregnate possibly lots of women, then there's this, you know, greater potential for for me out there in the future. Whereas for women, they want to make sure that if they have a child, it's going to be healthy and survive and thrive and have babies herself. So what Mm -hmm. she's most concerned about is the health of the child. And health of a child is determined by immune system, which is determined by a man's body odor. And actually fertility of a female is determined by her looks. So it's not just superficial that men are like, how a woman looks is so important. It's actually because, you know, certain hip to race ratio, you know, full lips, lustrous Mm -hmm. hair, you know, bright skin, et cetera. Mm -hmm. All of those are signals for fertility. And therefore that's why men are drawn to them. Again, very simplistic, but from a biological perspective, there's real reasons for this. And so from when we get back down to how we are with each other, Mm -hmm. when a woman finds, smells a guy and he just smells great to her, this is probably a signal that he would be a good reproductive match. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, he's the best person to live your life with, but from a reproductive perspective, that's actually significant. 
And unfortunately, in the real world these days, you know, wearing perfumes and colognes and all those other kinds of things can mask body odor. And if women are on the pill, it can also change what kinds of body odors women find most attractive and in fact lead women to making a mistake biologically where they find the smell of men who are more genetically similar more attractive whereas women not on the pill find men who are more genetically dissimilar in terms of their immune genes more attractive so anyway this is kind of a long story but going back to my husband i was actually on the pill so it doesn't really count but we were (laughs) anyway so so, uh um because he already had kids this is my second husband But yes, Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, his smell is, you know, comfort and love and and warmth and and wonderfulness. So that is so interesting because it's like almost makes you want to say like love at first smell instead of first like sight. Right. Thinking like that's so important. (laughs) It It is. is. Do you think not only not only that, but just to bring this up a little further, is that you know the number one complaint that women have in divorce, like uh, therapy, as it were, marital counseling, mm-hmm. is I cannot stand how my husband smells, and if she can't oh stand how he smells, they're not getting intimate. And what has happened here, going back to emotion, is how the emotion of I can't stand this guy has transferred to his scent, and it's really difficult to overcome this barrier. And one thing that I recommend if, if people are going through this is they, you know, go with your husband who you're trying to maintain your relationship with mm-hmm. to find a fragrance that you, the woman really likes. And so then you can kind of build a new emotional connection through that positive response. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so, so interesting. interesting. <laughs> do, do you think this happens like naturally, or do you think there's a little bit of emotional intelligence behind it? Because you know so much about it. So it's, did you go into it knowing that you know, you would find smell the right man. Yeah. Yeah. So actually I think that it's not at all, you know, necessary to have real awareness of this. So the research Mm -hmm. that I've done on this has, has been with undergraduates, you know, men and women, heterosexuals who really are not Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-aware and it comes out as being really clear that even young women who don't think about these kinds of things, I'm sure in any Mm -hmm. kind of more thoughtful way end up finding that how a man smells is the most important physical feature that will attract her to him or not. And for men, likewise, I mean, maybe this doesn't require a lot of reflection. I I don't mean (laughs) negative, but, but the looks things, you know, comes out as number one and that this Mm -hmm. I've repeated it in a variety of different scenarios and it keeps on being the case. So I don't think this has to be something that you need to be, you know, tuned into and, and thinking about. Certainly if you are, aware of it and thinking about it, then you can kind of say, aha. And from the point of view of of awareness and so forth. So if you, for instance, are looking for a partner to have children with, Mm -hmm. and you are, let's say on birth control pills, which like I said, can, can change how you would respond to somebody's smell, then you might want to go off them when you're sort of in the, in the hunt as it were. And you might also want to sort of suggest to the person, let's say when you're first meeting them or the first few days or whatever, like, just, you know, use ivory soap, don't wear any cologne and so forth, because you want to find out how they really smell. Mm -hmm. Because that is certainly, like I said, not the only thing, of course, you know, their personality and how you're going to get along and values and everything else are going to be critical. But at a biological level, it is something to consider if when you smell him, you're like, oh, this, this is nice. Or if you're like, there's just something wrong. And you know, he just had a shower. It's clear. It's not like there's something bad. It's just, <laughs> right. it's not right. 
That's, and, and women know it. I mean, women know like it's just not right or it's or it smells right. I feel like I'm going to use my nose a lot more after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let me go smell my boyfriend. I'll be right back. <laughs> but also it's, it's kind of wild that birth control affects it in such a great way because honestly, I don't think I have any friends that are not on the pill. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of a bummer to hear, but good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, in terms of Uh, And the unfortunate thing is it's not going to probably work if you go, oh, okay, like now I've been with you for three years and maybe we're going to get together, get married and whatever and have children. Now I'll go off the pill and and see if you're right, because at that point you're already in love with them. And so how they smell is not going to be influencing you in the same way. For sure. So you're not going to be able, so it's when you don't really know them that you and don't have an emotional connection already mm-hmm. that you want to be able to sort of suss it out with your nose. But I agree, you know, it is, it is a, a problem in modern society, modern Western society that there is the birth control pill is so prevalent and actually mm-hmm. has been an argument as to why, you know, miscarriage rates and difficulty sort of conceiving is a really also a big modern problem and did not used to be the case nearly to the same extent. Oh. So certainly age also plays a factor. Women are tend to be older these days and mm-hmm. men too, when they start to have a family, but also, you know, something that I've brought up is that potentially the sort of immune incompatibility. So what nature will do often, if, the, if it's not sort of going to be a viable offspring match that you just don't get pregnant. So, you know, you'll have a spontaneous miscarriage before you even, you know, get to the point of even knowing that you might've been pregnant. So Right. It's just kind of the reduction in ability to have like a proper conception mm-hmm. can be what is going on also. And that can be as a function of just the immune incompatibility between the two individuals. Wow. This is very interesting. I just learned so much. <laughs> I know me too. This is so fun. So, so can you explain um, kind of what you were talking about with Alzheimer's and how our sense of smell is linked to memory and are we able to use it to benefit our psychological health? So that's two totally different things, like how smell is involved in foreshadowing Alzheimer's disease is actually as a function of the fact that it's extremely difficult to put words to smell. So if you like, it's very easy to go, oh, that smells familiar. I know that smell. I cook with that smell or whatever it might be. I know it's a spice, but to say, oh, it's cardamom. Mm -hmm. That's actually very difficult. So, so as a function of, again, it's neurologically explained that the way that the brain is wired for smell and for language actually interferes with each other. So uh, we have a lot of difficulty actually verbally identifying smells and Alzheimer's fundamentally is a disease where semantic destruction is what's taking place. So your ability, you know, what is that is Mm -hmm. kind of the first Mm -hmm. thing that shows up. And if you already have a problem at healthily speaking, say, what is that in terms of a smell, the first place that you're going to see that perturbation is in a system that's already really vulnerable to having naming problems. And so when if you have a person who, let's say, always was a really avid cook, and now, you know, let's say they're in their early 50s, and they're standing in the kitchen, they're, they've got a spice jar in their hand, and they're sniffing and they go, I can smell something, I just have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. That could be a sign that maybe you should get a neurological test. Because like I said, you know, everything else is intact and can be for decades more. But if you find out, let's say, you're a carrier for the APOE allele, you know, et cetera, you know, if you can start intervention early, the, the gains are tremendous in terms of, you know, prognosis and, and outcome, positive life and so forth. Oh, that's but very interesting. The other side of the question, I think you asked, if I can remember, oh, I- 
is uh, is how we can use this for other like psychological health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that Which just goes in. back. Yeah, I mean, it goes. I mean, first of all, so cognitive health is psychological health. So your mm-hmm. memory is certainly part of your psychological health, mm-hmm. and we can use smells to help our memory just in general. So, like, if you're learning something and you want to remember it better, one thing that I've actually done research on and you can put it to use is if you bring in a scent that's not familiar to you because you don't want to have prior associations already to the smell. So you want to have a new scent with you. So like take a new perfume or something Mm -hmm. and study for whatever exam you have with the new perfume there. And then wear that perfume to the exam, you will actually be able to remember more of what you studied because that smell will become connected to that information, that whole experience of studying and help bring back the information that you learned during that episode. Uh So that's an aspect of cognitive health and then emotional health. Like I've said from the beginning, you know, smells are in and of themselves, you know, because they become emotional states in a way. And so a scent will trigger all the feelings, all the downstream physiological consequences of an emotional state that it's paired with and can make you feel really calm and relaxed and de-stress you, which also has really positive benefits for your immune system. Uh, A scent that evokes positive personal memories can reduce inflammatory cytokines. It can boost your immune system response to pathogens, you know, it has all kinds of really positive outcomes for your whole physical health, mental Mm -hmm. health, and everything else. So just your overall health in general. (laughs) Yeah. So I know we're talking, we're doing essential oils for this next series as we try to relieve some anxiety Mm -hmm. and stress. And I know you also spoke in your TED talk about and this correlation between or how to kind of fight food cravings, which I found really interesting with Mm -hmm if you have a sweet tooth, getting some orange oil or something like that, something that is sweet, but obviously something that you're not ingesting, um, at least physically. So Mm -hmm. can you kind of explain that? So sure. So smells can be really helpful for curbing food cravings. And again, this would be like, if you're not really physically hungry. So if you're physically hungry, food smells are, and and other scents are typically going to make you want to eat more. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But if you're not physically hungry, if you're just bored, you know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, gee, I'd like a brownie, whatever. (laughs) So the smells can be really helpful for curbing, caving to those uh, desires in in a couple of different ways. First, depending upon, you know, if you choose a scent, let's say that's personally connected to a memory for you, um, that you really like, you want to kind of go back in time to a vacation, you have a smell that you connect to that, mm-hmm. sniff that aroma, and you mm-hmm. can be transported on your trip down memory lane and forget that you feel like having brownies, ah. and uh, sort of change your mental state long enough to go, oh, yeah, okay, I've, I've had my little break now, I'll go back to, to working on the computer, whatever I'm doing. Another thing that they can do is actually remind you of the fact that you don't really want to eat brownies. You'd rather have a piece of fruit instead. So that's where, for instance, the idea of, of smelling a fruit. So, you know, I can smell a fruit that I like, like orange, and it's going to remind me that, well, you know, it's also, it's a very good smell. I like oranges. And instead of having a brownie, I will have an orange because it fits more with my, let's say healthy eating intentions. Mm -hmm. So it can kind of remind you sort of, tweak you sort of put you back on track to like that would be something that I would prefer to eat Mm -hmm. and also it can just be 
I can, depending upon what the scent is, it can just be a distraction. So, you know, you smell something else or you smell something that's interesting to you or just not at all related to food in any way, but, and maybe not like a really, you know, special personal memory, but just keeping a bunch of scents around, you know, kind of, let's just, if you're bored, like I said, which tends to be for me anyway, and I, I think a lot of other people, when you're most likely to kind of rummage through the cupboard oh, for sure. is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can fill your time with smelling things and it can be very involving and engaging, just like, you know, pick, have a couple of vials of whatever on your desk and just sniff them. And you're again, kind of the idea here is you don't really need to eat. You don't really have to eat. You just like could do it right now because there's nothing else you feel like really doing right now. Convenient. And yeah, right because of the emotional and involving engaging quality of smells, just smelling any scent can kind of take you off that path. Wow. Do you personally practice aromatherapy? Um, again, sort of not like in a, in, yes and no. I mean, I, I don't really like the term aromatherapy because mm -hmm. to me it's sort of, you know, caught up with the kind of folklore and everything else, but from the perspective of using scent to enhance my health and especially emotional health, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, there's smells that really, you know, and right now too, in particular, because of not being able to see people, you know, the smell of, I have a bottle of my mom's perfume because I haven't Aww. been able to see her and she has a bottle of mine. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So, you know, things like that. And, and scents that I really personally like. So the idea that, you know, lavender is relaxing and mm -hmm. um some you know citrus is invigorating and so on that's culturally sort of true but each individual also has all their own personal favorites and smells that are connected to their special memories and people and emotions so it's mm -hmm. finding out for yourself so i have smells that for me I, I really like and so i'll smell those um but the problem is or the caution really is that you don't want to overdo it because mm -hmm. if you keep on smelling the same scent over and over again, you're actually going to become adapted to it and stop being able to, to detect it, to be able to pick it up. Oh. So you want to have as much as possible, kind of a, a variety of different smells to mm -hmm. go to when you're feeling down or whatever the case might be so that you don't overdo just one scent and like, don't keep doing it all day long. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, because like I said, you'll develop you very quickly, the receptors in your nose actually stop responding to the same chemical odorant when it's constantly there. So oh. this can happen even within just two minutes. Oh, so you really like want tolerance. To, yeah. So you just want to smell briefly and then move on. Interesting. Do you feel like that has, do you feel like it's just the same with perfume or cologne that you wear if you wear it every day you just kind of become immune to it absolutely it's exactly the same thing so mm -hmm. unfortunately what ends up happening is for the person like I wear a certain perfume that I've been wearing for decades now and mm -hmm. it's really special to me because people also like whenever they smell that perfume they, they know it's me like I have a friend right. whose daughter will say to her you were just with Rachel because like she can smell it on her because her friend her mother's hugged me or something Oh, interesting. So I, I mean, I really like that I'm kind of identified as, you know, there's this particular perfume that I wear, but I, and I really loved it when I first bought it, but I can barely smell it at all anymore. And <laughs> what often happens when people, let's say they buy a, a cologne or a perfume they really like, mm -hmm. they put mm -hmm. it on, they stop being able to smell it. So then they start like basically showering themselves in the fragrance uh, and everybody else is choking like, oh my <laughs> God, they're like wearing a right. gallon of this stuff but meanwhile the person who's put it on can just barely detect it so you know this is one of the problems with the fact that the person themselves can no longer smell it but everybody else can <laughs> 
That's right. so funny because back in high school, this is very specific, but I used to wear Love Spell as a fragrance by Victoria's Secret, just like a body spray. And I don't wear it anymore. But last week I was just around uh, a physical therapy girl and she, I, and I was by her and I said, I was like, is that Love Spell by Victoria's Secret? She goes, how do you know that? And why was that so specific? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know why, but my nose was just like latched onto that so fast and I knew exactly what it was. So it's funny you say that because I used to wear it every day and then I stopped for years and years. And then the moment I smelled that, it just took me back to high school and I loved that so much. <laughs> well, you're describing two things really well there. First of all, you're describing that this is a, a scent evoked memory taking you back to high school, mm -hmm. but also that if we stop wearing the perfume for a, a while, then we can get the, the scent back again. But we need to take a break of at least two weeks when we're constantly with a smell to stop being able to, you know, once we stop being able to detect it, we need like a two week off period before mm -hmm. we'll be able to uh, pick it up again. Oh, start rotating my perfume. Noted, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is taste linked to our emotions the same way scent is? As I know, I was interested because I know um, I always bring back your TED talk because I really enjoyed it, but you talk about loss of sense of smell is one of the hardest things to kind of cope with. Um, and I know I was also interested with COVID and anosmia and that being one of the main side effects, people say that I lost like 30 pounds because what's the point of eating if I can't taste? So how does taste kind of link to our Okay, so how is smell? Okay, yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, so what people call taste is really flavor for the most part, because taste is really just the simple sensations of salty, sour, sweet, and bitter that we get in our mouth when we're eating something. And everything else from what we're consuming comes from being able to smell. So for mm -hmm. example, bacon, the flavor of bacon is the aroma of all the volatiles are like about 150 of them and the taste of salt. So if you did not have a sense of smell, all you'd be able to perceive when you eat bacon is salt. And if you didn't have a sense of smell and you bit into a potato or an apple, they would be identical. So our sense of smell is what gives our experience of flavor. And it's our brain that puts together the perception of the aroma with the perception of the taste knits it together. And that's where we get this experience. But because it's coming from our mouth, we say the word taste and how it's coming from our mouth is we actually really, it's because of we're breathing. So mm -hmm. while we're chewing our food, the aromas molecules from the food are being released into our mouth and they're getting up into the nose through an opening at the back of the mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's the inhalation and then the exhalation that enables that whoosh of the aroma molecules to pass over the odor receptors in our nose. And if you have a bad cold and your nose is stuffed, that airway passage is blocked and you don't get the aroma coming from your mouth. So when people are sick or they have allergies or like food doesn't taste right. Mm -hmm. And for people who've lost their sense of smell with a COVID, for example, and it can happen with other respiratory tract infections, but right. it's become a really big thing with COVID and people are really noticing how involved their sense of smell is with everything. But what's going on there is people will say they've lost taste, but they haven't. So they can still detect sour and sweet and salty and bitter, mm -hmm. but the food that they're eating is totally not what it was at all before, because that's all they're getting is just the salty, sour, sweet, and bitter, and they're not getting any of the flavor. So it feels really terrible. And people will either, I mean, what often tends to happen over the long run when people have lost their sense of smell is they'll end up gaining weight because the pleasurable sensations of like, you know, fatty, creamy stuff and right. salty stuff, 
carbohydrates and sweet stuff carbohydrates is still really pleasurable because those things are hardwired for, for pleasure in our brain. And so people will end up eating, you know, higher calorie, salty, sweet, fatty stuff. But initially you'll find often will people will lose weight because it just becomes so unpleasant to eat. I mean, it's just like ruined your experience. Monotonous. totally. Like yeah. why bother? It's like you said, like why bother eating if I can't get any of the, the joy that I normally got, if I can't tell the difference between whether I'm eating a steak or a, you know, piece of cardboard. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I watched so many videos of people on TikTok or YouTube and they said, well, I, I can't, I don't have my taste of smell. I'm sorry, lost my taste of smell. So they started um, eating onions and hot sauce and like putting it on their tongue and seeing if they could, I'm like, is that damaging to your taste oh buds <laughs> if you don't know what you're eating? And yeah, I mean, you'd know what you're eating, but you can't feel the sensations that you normally would. I'm like, that's interesting. So, so actually that's a good point. So putting hot sauce on your tongue and just to get the sensation. So you would still get like that burning sensation. Mm-hmm. So to kind of feel that you're still getting something, I mean, using stuff like so hot sauce is triggering a different sensory system it's called the trigeminal system and it's like the the detection of of heat and cooling like menthol smells cooling that's trigeminal it can and also burn so like really hot burning peppers and so on Mm -hmm. so if you can't get anything other than salt, sour, sweet, and bitter, certainly adding zing, like putting horseradish on stuff or putting hot pepper sauce or like, you know, Tabasco and uh, sriracha and stuff, that's going to give you a lot more of a sensation, but unfortunately it's not going to give you that flavor. So all you're going to get is the Mm. burn plus salt, let's just say. Oh, but it's not going to hurt your tongue. Like you're not, (laughs) you're not doing damage unless, you know, Unless you set fire to it, but, <laughs> no, but <laughs> eating, hot, tea. eating hot peppers, I mean, actually, and, and this is something that, so just so you know, that it's not anything bad or permanent. So if you do bite into something that's really hot, like you, you know, you grab the first bite of like slice of pizza out of the oven. And it's like, before thinking about it, you bite into it, it's like burns the roof of your mouth or your tongue. Mm-hmm. And then for a while, that piece part of your tongue feels really numb and you feel like you're not tasting as well as before. Well, it those cells grow back really quickly. So, and you have done some damage to the periphery there, but they'll grow back within five days or so and you'll be, you'll be fine. But this also brings up something really interesting is that when you can smell, the taste itself becomes more intense. So when you can smell the sweetness of the chocolate, if you, when you can smell the chocolate of the chocolate cake you're eating, the sweetness of the cake is actually also intensified. And I would say that if you wanna do like a little mini experiment with yourself, just to prove how much scent is involved in the experience of flavor, get a hard candy or a jelly bean or something like that, mm-hmm. plug your nose, put it in your mouth and like chew or, you know, suck on it or whatever. And all you're going to taste is the sweetness and mm-hmm. then release your nostrils and you'll get the aroma of, oh, my God, it's cherry, it's licorice, it's caramel, whatever the case might be. And you'll also notice that the candy is also tasting much sweeter when you can smell. So that it's really a synergistic relationship. I feel like I've learned so much today. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We really enjoyed talking to you and I have a lot to think about when I get off actually, because this was this was really cool. And your TED talk, your TED talk is what, what I started off with me and Carly both. And I've learned so much during your TED talk and this too, it just expanded on my knowledge of smell and how I'm going to use it actually going forward in ways that I honestly didn't even realize. 
So that's really cool. And thank you for sharing all this with us. Me too. I'm a book nerd. I'm going to have to read your books too. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate being on and, and uh, smell on. (laughs) Smell (laughs) on. (laughs) Yeah. Keep calm and smell on. Keep calm and smell on. So if our (laughs) listeners want to learn more about the science of smell and what Rachel does, her website is www.rachelhers.com and hers is h-e-r-z and follow along with us as we continue our journey with essential oils and smell on our next episode thank you so much bye thank you thank you bye